0: <laughs> You're listening to Halford and Broff. Paul on the far side can't get it. Now Nick Paul's got it. Going to the goal, to the back door. Kucherov scores.
1: It's every game it's like we get three or four penalties you know I, it's like we got to learn early to keep the sticks on That's on us i didn't see first go and second goal. maybe i need to buy some glasses
0: certainly uh, not not good enough excuse my language ladies and gentlemen
2: the weekend good morning vancouver 601 on a friday sweet sweet friday it is alfred it is bruff it is sports 650 we are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. dog. good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Halford and Brough for the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience a Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour one of the program. Hour one is brought to you by everythingfinancial.com. Financial freedom awaits. Book your introductory meeting today. Visit them online at everythingfinancial.com. Com.
1: We are coming to you live from the Kintec Studio, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. It is a Friday.
2: The weekend is here. We have a lot to look forward to. We have a lot to look back on. We have a lot to do, period. So let's get into it right away. Guest list begins at 6.30 today. Brady Henderson, ESPN. NFL Nation will join us to talk about the Seahawks and the Cardinals on Sunday. Seahawks, seven and a half point favorites. But there's there's a little bit of acrimony going into this game for the Hawks. It was a disappointing loss against Mm. Cincinnati. DK Metcalf is talking out of turn. He's not making a lot of fans, both in the media and in the room, as I understand it. So we'll talk to Brady about all that. Uh, Coming up at 6.30, we'll get our Seahawks talk underway uh, bright and early this morning. 7.30, Bob the Moj Marjanovic is going to join us. Tonight, 7 o'clock, BC Place, Lions, Stampeders. This is actually the Lions' regular season finale, even Mm. though there's another week of CFL action still.
1: And if they win this one there's still a very minute chance that they could host the West final. So you're saying there's a chance. Because Winnipeg would still have two games left. God bless the CFL
2: schedule. If Winnipeg (laughs) can lose its way into the playoffs, the Lions could clinch first place next week on a bye. Right. It's amazing. It probably won't happen. Uh, there's like zero percent chance. But we'll <laughs> talk to Moji about that at seven thirty. Uh eight o'clock, Rick Dollywall is gonna join us. The usual with Dollywall, there's gonna be yelling. We'll probably get hung up on. There'll be talk from various agents around the league. You know what I wanted to ask him in his in his discussion with all the agents across the NHL, what their response has been to this news. And there was another development last night that the NHL is gonna decentralize the draft. Mm-hmm. And that I mean like the draft is one of the big Days for the agents, right? right? They get to go into the stands and sit with the families and get their show guys off to... their prize prospects, right? It's a big walk them up to the stage and it's like, make me a lot of money, put my face on camera, <laughs> a little card, Judd Moldaver underneath it. Yeah, so we'll talk to Rick about all that uh, coming up at eight o'clock. It's also Ask Us Anything Friday, a tried and true staple of the Halford and Bruff show. You can ask us quite literally anything, we will answer it. I suspect there will be many Tyler Myers esque. Related adjacent AUA's today. I feel like Tyler Myers is going to be talked about a lot today. So, uh, working in reverse all day. Tyler Myers, eight o'clock. Rick Dollywall, seven thirty. Moj, six thirty. Brady Henderson. We have a ton to get into. So, without further ado, Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, no. what happened? I missed all the action because I was.
0: We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that. You missed that?
2: What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance. Making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. Two goals from Nikita Kucherov, the Tampa Bay Lightning, and their three-game mini-skid 4-3 with a win over your beloved Vancouver Canucks in Tampa Bay at Amelie Arena on Thursday night.
1: Yeah, the Canucks played a half-decent game Thursday in, in Tampa against uh, a Lightning team with um, you know a proven core and a Lightning team that was looking to buck uh, a three-game winless stretch as they returned home from a road trip where they lost all three games. But once again, even though the Canucks played a half-decent game and the head coach loved the battle level of the team, they could not hide the Achilles heel of this team. And that is the right side of the defense. Noel Juleson came out of the lineup. Mark Friedman came in, but unfortunately there's nobody to replace Tyler Myers, whose play could be faulted on two of Tampa's four goals. Mm. Uh, Myers first mistake was probably the most glaring when with a chance to ice the puck on the penalty kill, he put it right on Nick Paul's stick, and the Lightning quickly capitalized. Later in the game, Myers chased a puck battle. His instincts weren't terrible because there was a chance on the PK to turn over a puck. The execution
2: um, was not good, though. But the though.
1: problem is he ended up taking out himself and Elias Pettersson on the sideboards. And that uh, I guess that resulted in a five-on-two for the Lightning, and the Lightning quickly capitalized. Um, there were some good things from the Canucks, for sure. Demko made some more amazing saves. JT Miller was a force all night. He picked up a goal and an assist. Mm-hmm. Elias Pedersen, despite maybe not looking 100% out there, added a couple of more assists, and he's near the, uh, the scoring leaders in the NHL. And I guess to be fair to Myers, he did score yep. on a big slap shot. That was one of uh, PD's assists. Uh, To put the Canucks up 2-1 early in the second, Canucks had a great start to the second period. At 5-on-5, Tyler Myers was fine. But the mistakes on the PK and the glaringness of the mistakes outweighed really any good he did. And the Canucks have to be wondering how they're going to be successful with the lack of quality on the right side of the defense. And it's easy to scapegoat Tyler Myers in all this, but here's the reality. Tyler Myers at his age and his ability just should not be a guy that's counted on as much as he is for the Canucks. So is it, his fault on those goals yeah it's his fault I mean the, the first one you got to clear the puck man right like it's that's something it, it wasn't it wasn't a difficult play or at the very least don't pass it directly to Nick Paul well that's what I'm talking about right like it's that that's not a difficult that that's not a difficult play an NHL defenseman should be able to make it yeah there were some things that happened before that and it was interesting that Rick Tockett uh, after the game he was talking about the glaring mistakes four or five glaring mistakes the Canucks made and it wasn't just like singular mistakes it it was mistakes that were compounded by other mistakes, and that's something that he's been trying to get out of the Canucks game, and that that giveaway by Tyler Myers, and this was the, the Lightning's first goal, um, was a perfect example. There were errant passes before that play, but that's a play he needs to make. Mm-hmm. But what I was trying to say is Tyler Myers is more like <laughs> the very obvious chaotic um, symptom symptom of the, the 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 problems that the Canucks have, and that is that they have one, for sure, really good defenseman in Quinn Hughes, one top-four defenseman in uh, Philip Haronic. He was very good last um time, Ian Cole is good enough to be in the top four, but only as a caddy, I think, to a better player than him. Mm-hmm. And that's what they've got. Yep. Right, like they think of who else they've got Carson Susie. Yeah, they've got him, and maybe they need to try Carson Susie more on the top four. Maybe they put him with Quinn and Hronik drops down to play with Cole. Maybe that's something they have to consider. But they don't, <laughs> you can't make top four defensemen, right? You can't just like create them. The Canucks have two and a half of them, yeah, right? Like, two and if you if you count Ian Cole as maybe a guy that. Can be in the top four, but not having to like carry his pair. Mm-hmm. The Canucks have two and a half, yeah, maybe three top four defensemen. And that's that's hard. like I do want to focus on you can't, so conj- you can't conjure do, a defenseman,
2: right? I do want to focus though on Myers because I understand, and I think Thomas Drance wrote an article about this as well. It's like it's not Tyler Myers' fault, it's not this is a bigger, larger issue, and you're right, he's not the problem of a blue line that's constructed where he has to play the role that he does. He's like, Hey, I can only do what I can do. And in certain instances, that means turning, turning the puck over directly to the other team or taking out your own players. But there are mistakes And then there are egregious mistakes. And there's ones that no matter where you play in an NHL lineup, you can't make. Do we have the talk at audio? He spoke briefly. I don't think that Rick Tockett, especially after what he said in Philadelphia, was going to go, again, really hard, and this time at a particular player. But he did have to address the elephant in the room or the giraffe, as it was. that These are egregious mistakes that, in part, cost his team A hockey game last night. Uh, Here is Rick Tockett talking about the big mistakes, specifically those by Tyler Myers.
1: Well, obviously, you know, he made that mistake on the first one. Um, I wish he, you know, wish he stayed on his feet because that, you know, if he stays on his feet, he probably simply doesn't get through. That's like duplicate mistakes. I know he threw the puck away. That's the first mistake. But I think if he stays on his feet, so uh, you know, he's going to have to bounce back. You know, we're we're got some people hurt, so he's got to. We need him to to dial in for us.
2: So what we're looking at here is a guy that had his ice time drop below 16 minutes last night, Tyler Myers. That's without taking a penalty. So it's not like you could say, well, he was sitting in the box for a large chunk of it. He got about two and a half more minutes than the newcomer, Mark Friedman, who had a five-minute major for fighting. Mm -hmm. Good on him for taking on Tanner Janot. Tanner Janot's a tough dude. Yeah, he's a big dude, too. He's a big dude. Um, had the reach advantage. (laughs) Sure did. (laughs) He sure did. Um, Look, they've got an act early in the season. They've got a real issue here Mm -hmm. is that at least with the other guys like Cole and Susie and maybe with Friedman, you can say, yeah, they're probably playing in an elevated role that's above their head, but they might be able to tread water. Myers isn't doing that right now. He's not treading water. It's like he's trying to tread water, but he's got gigantic weights tied to his ankles that are (laughs) sinking him. I mean, those are bad mistakes. Yeah, I don't know what to say about the Nick Paul play, but I was watching a bunch of highlight shows last night, as I am wont to do on a busy sports night, and Myers's was plucked as the worst play of the day on one of the broadcasters. Right? right? I mean, it was it was a bad play. It was horrific, and it led directly to a goal and the tackling of his own player. On it was the 4 2 goal, right before it became 4 3, right? I can't yeah, I think one. it was. Um, They're big, egregious mistakes. Now, here's the thing this is a connects team that we've said on countless occasions needs everything to go right to be the team that the president, Jim Rutherford, thinks that they can be, right? Yeah, well, Jim Rutherford said that actually. That's why he <laughs> said it. And I think that you can boil that down to a game by game basis. Like, they don't have the kind of team that can afford to have these egregious errors. They probably can't have Demko with a totally off night and win the game. They just don't have it. They iced Hughes and Hronick for 26 minutes apiece last night. Like, there's Mm -hmm. not much more you can do with your defense. But the defense, as we said yesterday, and one guy disagreed on Twitter, just one, though, which is good, the defense is their Achilles heel. The question is, is how much is it going to sabotage the season without either A, Patrick Alvin fixing it by bringing in other guys, or B, them suddenly playing better? And I don't know if B is a very big likelihood, because I think this defense is what it is.
1: Uh, We had a few people texting in, uh, Rick Talkett doesn't have the guts to scratch Tyler Myers so much for accountability. That would be quite a statement. Um, (laughs) What would the lineup look like if Tyler Myers... Got scratched. I'm just, I because I, I would consider it. I would consider it. Do you just play with five defensemen? No. No, you never do that. I don't know. Hiroshi. Do I mean,
2: <laughs> well, they're going to have to try something. At like, some would point. it be
1: something like, would you go Hughes and Susie, Cole and uh, Hronik and then Hiroshi and Friedman? Man, that is. Like, it, it, here's the problem, right? Like, I, I'm not trying to make excuses for Tyler Myers, and I'm not trying to make excuses for Rick Tockett, but <laughs> you take Tyler Myers out, it doesn't look that much better. Now, it's might it might be something to consider. It might be something to consider. It would sure send a message. Well, but the problem, like, I don't think... I don't think the mistakes Tyler Myers was making was one, it, was, it wasn't it was a lack of effort. Like no. it wasn't, like he his, the second mistake where he bowled over Petey was just him. He tried too hard. He tried <laughs> too hard, right? Like he wanted to, there was a breakdown or Petey had the puck tied up along the sideboards. And oftentimes that's when you teach your players, you're just like, okay, if there's a chance to create a loose puck or go get the loose puck, Go and get it, right? And he just charged in there like a giant giraffe, right? Like, this is why Chaos Giraffe was training in Canada. And he just, he just, he didn't do it right. Right? Okay. He didn't he didn't do it right.
2: It's fine. And like we got people texting in, jumping to the defense, and that's fine. It's a polarizing thing. Yeah, no one wants yeah, to is. blame one person. Totally. I get it, right? Someone said, You guys are blaming Myers on two goals. What players made mistakes on the lightning that caused the Canucks to score? I don't know. How many Quite frankly, had, I don't care. How many but minutes did you play last night, Myers? Fifteen fifty eight, I think it ended up being. He was he way low. Much. He didn't play much. But, yeah.
1: Because Hughes and heronic played a lot. They yeah. played over twenty five minutes each. This is this is uh this is, this is not looking good. And Ethan Bear I don't think, is gonna solve everything when he comes back. I just want to respond
2: back. to what you're saying, though. Like you're right. This is not for a lack of effort and not for a lack of trying, but this is the NHL. This is a result it's, it's not the it's not the tried hard league, it's the mm-hmm. get it done league, right? Last year they scratched Oliver Ekman Larson, who made more money than Tyler Myers and had maybe as equal a role on that blue line because he wasn't doing the things that they needed to do to win hockey games. Yeah. right. Hey, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying don't do it. I don't think they should do I, it. I, I don't. I, I think it would be.
1: I'm just saying early in the season was, there I'm would just, be
2: ramifications beyond just scratching the guy. I think.
1: Yeah, for sure. Danny and Brooks would also his agent is JP Barry who happens to be Elise Petters agent. But whatever, don't piss him off. Danny and Brooks would boys. At this point, do they not have to move off of the Hughes-Heronic pairing? At least that would allow Myers to be on the third pair. I think so. I think so. I don't think the Hughes and Horonic pairing has been wow. They've been good. They've been I don't good. think. I don't think. They're. Good. I don't think. I don't think anyone scored when Hughes has been on the ice. Right, they're good. This this blue line is almost exactly what we thought it was going to be. Yeah.
2: Veronic was great last night. I think he had six. He led the team in shots on goal. He had an assist. He played nearly twenty seven minutes. I can't ask much more from him. And ditto for Hughes. They're good. It's the guys behind them that aren't getting the job done right now. Yeah. I mean, I'll ask Dollywall when we have him on at eight. Like, are are they going to keep nibbling around the edges and like incrementally improving this blue line? Because no one, and I repeat. No one. He's going to yell something about Ethan Bear. No,
1: oh, they're interested in Ethan Bear.
2: And that's fine, but that's December. Yeah. I mean, And, and who knows what he's going to look like. It's October 20th. We haven't yeah. even hit the holiday of Andy's favorite, the Halloween. It's still not a holiday. It's a holiday. Okay.
1: A so imagine
2: uh, waiting till Christmas.
1: A few other things uh, about that game. Uh, the three stars were Kucherov, Nick Paul, and Isamont. Isamont looked like the classic Tampa Bay Lightning type of player. Right, like Mm -hmm. you're watching him play. I'm like, that guy's fast, right? And he makes things happen. Um, Perbix
2: was all over the ice.
1: Well, no, I just wanted to talk about Isamont because, like, there are, I think, speed issues with the Canucks right now. Mm -hmm. And when I watch players like Isamont and other players on the Lightning, like they seem to have that extra level of speed that not enough Canucks players have. Mm And I think when you're looking at the top line right now with Petey, Kuzmenko and Garland, it needs to be it needs to be better. I know P.D.'s piled up a bunch of points, um, but the best line has, or the best, frankly, I think the best forward has been J.T. Miller. Oh, yeah, he's been great. You know, like he is, he's carrying his line right now. Um, he is making things happen, and as a result of that, Brock Besser is getting scoring opportunities. Um, the one player the Canucks need right now. And I saw a lot of people talking about, oh, they should move Hoaglander up to the top line with Petey and Kuzmenko because Garland really isn't getting it done. And I'm like, fine, try that for a bit. It might work. Uh, Hoaglander showed a few bursts of energy last night, but like, you need more, right? You need consistency. And you can't just have a few bursts of energy to play on the top line. You need to have more to your game than that. The one guy they're missing right now is Mikheyev. Mm-hmm. They need more speed in their
2: lineup. They do. They I mean they're they're it's funny cuz they're an imperfect team as we've said on a number of occasions here. And last night really kind of embodied a lot of that. But Tampa Bay is probably going to make the playoffs. Let's let's confidently throw that out there, right? It might be a dogfight, but I would say right now if I was to bet, here's my
1: prediction, one of Boston, Toronto or Tampa will miss the playoffs.
2: Okay. But point being, Tampa's a good team. Let's put it that yeah, way. They're right? a good Traditionally, team. they've been yeah. a good team. They got a lot of stars. They got a good head coach. They've got a Norris candidate and headman, all that stuff. Um, the Canucks were there for 27 to 30 minutes of last night's game, neck and neck with them. They had them down a goal. It looked all right, but there was differences. And I think one of them was you look at what the Canucks didn't have last night, and you're astutely pointed out they did not have a lot out of that bottom six forward group. Mm. And what was the other thing? They made back breaking errors. Whereas the Lightning didn't, or at least glaring ones like we saw. And when the Lightning got up 4-3, they really kind of found a way to just salt it away. Like, they had done it before, right? That was kind of the thing. When
1: the Canucks had the extra man, um, so JT Miller scores to make it 4-3. Yep. And then with, like, 15 seconds left... The Canucks had the puck and they were kind of throwing it around on the outside, and I'm like, "You gotta, you gotta get a puck on that, guys! Come on, let's go, let's go!" But the Lightning were in just such good positions that the Canucks, for whatever reason, like some of them should have tried at least, mm-hmm. but they just couldn't shoot the puck. Like that's a team that I was
2: yelling at my TV in that last like, ten, 10 just seconds. Like shoot it, just yeah, Pedersen just yeah. holding
0: on, like looking for an open.
1: Yeah. So just, like,
2: just do it, just put it on that. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. yeah. but
1: they're Pick a, team, a chance. But they're a team that can just like pick especially Kucherov, man. Yep. Like yeah, when he's, so he's okay. out, he, he they, they just see opportunities and they see mistakes and they take advantage of mistakes. I want to play Rick Tocket's audio on some of the glaring mistakes that the Canucks made last night. He called they didn't call them glaring, but he called them crucial mistakes because as much as Tyler Myers was you know was was to blame for a couple of goals. There were other mistakes that were being made. I think he might have been talking about Garland on um, on one of the goals. But here's Rick Tockett on last night's game. Yeah, I think our penalty, kills, penalty, penalty kill penalty is good. I don't that's the the uh, percentage is not indicative of the uh, of our penalty kill. It's, it's very crucial mistakes at the wrong time. Sorry, that wasn't the clip that I wanted. There was one that he started right out, right out of the gate, and he was talking about the four or five crucial mistakes that the Canucks made, and he kind of went into more detail, and, you know, he used his F3 or whatever. He's like, there was a guy diving at the F3, and I think that might have been Garland. Um, there's a few texts in about Kuzmenko.
2: Yeah, there sure is. Jay
1: from Delta, I feel like Kuzmenko is not going to thrive once again. He was flat yesterday. Analytically, he, he had a great game. Like he was, if you look at his Corsi or his expected goals, he had a great game. He played 15 minutes. He, about what you would expect. Yeah, uh, production's
2: I, not there right now.
1: But. I don't like that first line right now. I don't like. I don't like the makeup of it. I don't think it has. I don't think it has the right wingers, and that's why. <laughs> well, well I don't. Be, is it because Cutter Garland forced his way into it? Yeah, I. don't, I don't like it right now. Yeah, I. I think it needs McAvoy need need something. Well, look. But that line right now, and I don't think PD was 100% yesterday. But, but traditionally, like historically. The, the top last... line right now, can we all agree, is JT Miller's line? Yeah.
2: Traditionally, histo- I mean, Patterson's production has been very good, actually, yeah. in light of all of this. Mm-hmm. Up,
0: up until Myers injured
2: him. Uh, Right. (laughs) No, but Pedersen...
0: I'm just saying, if last night he was injured, it
2: was probably... Pedersen has seven seven assists through four games on a line that I think all of us can kind of agree looks a bit janky at times. Historically, traditionally, Garland... Four
1: four APD's points are on the power play.
2: Yeah, but it was just all I'm saying. Yeah, Like, he's been productive in spite of this, I Mm -hmm. would say, because traditionally, historically, Garland has never meshed very well with Pedersen. They had the one connection in the first game of the year, the first goal of the year, right? And it was fantastic. But outside of that... You just don't see it. The Kuzmenko thing is a little bit more interesting because everyone was, I mean, and by everyone, I mean me and Bruff, the most important people. Uh, we were, you know, kind of saying it all summer. There could very well be a regression here due to a multitude of reasons, not because he's struggling or anything. Like you said, analytically, he had a fine night last night. Yeah. If you dig deeper, but at the end of the night, he's got no goals, no assists, no points, right? So that line, I would agree with you. And I use the word janky because it's not that it's bad. It just feels a bit off, like it's mismatched pieces or yeah. maybe it's just not the right fit. Whereas with Miller and Besser and, and Giuseppe, it, it feels it needs, like it
1: fits and it clicks. It needs a little more force on the wings, I think. I would right? agree. Force. I, I don't know how to define that, but like what Giuseppe, I suppose, in some ways brings to the Besser-JT uh, Miller line, right? Mm-hmm. If you've got Kuzmenko and Garland on the wings, that's like how many puck battles are you going to be winning? How, how, how to get the puck, right? Oh, it's a good point. You know, so and I think so Rick Tockett had said earlier that there's a possibility that McKayev plays on this trip. Well, there's only two games left on this trip now. Saturday they're in Florida against Oliver ekman Larson, scored last night in a win over the Leafs, um, and the Florida Panthers. And then Tuesday they're in Nashville against the Predators. Um What's a successful road trip look like? Uh, I mean, at this p- one more At this sure. point,
2: you gotta, yeah, you gotta get out of this with three wins. I don't care who it comes against on the weekend, but you gotta win. Or, or, not both games on the weekend, but you got Florida and Nashville left, right? So you're, you're gonna say that you gotta win both of them? Um, or do you? Mean oh right, three right wins they started. Overall. Oh right, they started at home. I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. Think, yeah. Um, it's got okay. Bottom line. I'm going to say the start, hashtag the start, not just the road trip. Mm-hmm. they got to win one of these two games against Florida and Nashville. That's it. You lose two, and then all of a sudden you're like, okay, we're going in on a four-game skid yeah. to end it. Uh, any good vibes that you had from uh, sweeping Edmonton to start have been dissipated at that point if you For follow sure. it up with four straight losses. Well, we are saying in the offseason, they got to get out of October at 500. So, like if none if of this. If you win half your games, you're looking okay at we're, least, Again, we're not talking do or die. Our season has no. sunk like the start of last season, but there's got to be a standard where the goal is the playoffs. Every, I mean, someone's jokingly said, oh, we only have to do this 78 more times this year. Yeah, man. <laughs> until they're until they're eliminated, every game, the reset is going to be
1: where are they with regards to the playoff positioning? What do they need to do to get into it? And if they're in it, what do they need to do to stay there? So I have lots more hockey talk and Canucks talk later on in the show. Brady Henderson is going to come up next. Talk about uh, the Seahawks-Cardinals game on Sunday. Seahawks better win this one. Speaking of must-wins, they need to win this one. Um, but I also want to talk to Brady about DK Metcalf and his comments on the penalties he's been taking uh, and how his and what his teammates think of the penalties his, he's been taking. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.
0: Everything Canucks before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: 632 on a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. Sweet, sweet Friday. Good tune, Laddie. It's got the rap horns in it. I like it. It's the hot take of songs. Halpern and Brub of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura Dealer today. We are in hour one of the program. Brady Henderson, ESPN Seahawks Insider, is going to join us in just a moment here. Hour one of this program is brought to you by Everythingfinancial.com. Financial freedom awaits. Book your introductory meeting today. Visit them online at Everythingfinancial.com. Seahawks are seven and a half point favorites at home this weekend against their NFC West rivals, the Arizona Cardinals. Joining us now to talk about that and a whole lot more. ESPN's Brady Henderson here on the Halford and Bruff Show on SportsNet, 650. Morning, Brady. How are you? Yeah. Well, that's not Hello. Me. Hello. Uh, we will try. That wasn't Brady. No, I. well, it might have been. It could have been his dial tone. Who has a dial tone anymore?
1: Yeah, I heard that dial tone. That must be on our side.
2: Um, the Seahawks' big story of the week, nothing to do with the Arizona Cardinals. The DK Metcalf story was the big one. Brady wrote about it midweek. For those that missed it, DK was asked midweek about all the stupid penalties he's been taking, not just against the Cincinnati Bengals, but in games past and seasons past. And the change was... That while he was normally contrite and being like, yeah, you know, it's on me. I'm Yeah, I gotta, I'm going to do better. I mean, a little more, I'm going to be reflective, self-reflective, and I'm going to take responsibility. Not this time. <laughs> he said, uh, I'm not going to change the way that I play. And he actually kind of scoffed at Pete Carroll's penalty board, <laughs> which is a thing. that Just Pete a Carroll, board, man. It's just a board. Pete Carroll trots it out every week. You have to explain yourself for the penalties that you took on the weekend. DK, said, it's just a board. So do we have Brady now? We got him back on the line. Excellent. Joining us now, let's try this again. Brady Henderson. ESPN Seahawks Insider here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.
0: Morning, Brady. How are you? What's up, guys? Sorry about that. had some uh, technical difficulties. Please stand by.
2: Yeah, it's okay. We're used to them here at Sportsnet 650. We have them quite often. Um, I want to start not with the preview of this week's game or a look back at last week's game, but DK Metcalf. I know that you wrote about this for ESPN. I think we played the audio yesterday. It made the rounds in media because of exactly what he said. He said he's not going to change who he is when it comes to taking penalties and being aggressive. I'm sure he'd like to take less penalties, but the actions that cause those penalties, he's not going to change. And he kind of scoffed a little bit at Pete Carroll's penalty board that he trots at every week. When you wrote this story and you heard what he said, what's the reaction been to Metcalf's response to the penalty he's taken and his approach to the game?
0: Well, I mean, I, you know, I just go off of the, the comments that I see on uh, Twitter or X or whatever we're calling it these days. And I think people were, you know, pretty ticked at him uh, even before he stepped to the podium on Wednesday for his regular press conference just because, you know, this is this has happened. This has been going on for a while and I think really it seems like it started kind of in the 2021 season is when I first remember this starting to be a thing. And so um, he's made several comments about it. And as you mentioned in the lead-up to the – Uh, to the conversation. Like that's really what made this so different is that every time um, you know, he had talked about it beforehand, it was, you know, there was contrition and there was a vow to be better. And um, this was just the opposite of that. And I do sort of wonder if maybe part of the change was, you know, he just got sick of seeing all of the negative reaction to it. And um, it it strikes me as situation where maybe the guy was, you know, spending a little bit too much time on social media and, and reading all of the, um, you know, the, the negative reaction to the penalty, and he just said, "Look, I'm not going to stand up here and, and say the same thing I have in the past." And like, um, you know, it, I, it also makes me wonder if there's some frustration building because he's been playing for an injury, uh, you know, the rib injury since week two, and then he also suffered the uh, <clears throat> the hip injury in that game that briefly caused him to head to the locker room. And so, I don't know. Maybe it's it's some frustration mounting, but it was, you know, the first time at least to me, that, you know, up until this point, this has seemed like an issue that has been confined to, you know, a handful nine or ten plays over the course of a four-plus seasons. So as, as you know, bad as it's been, it's really, you know, a handful of instances over a multi-year period. This was the first indication to me, you know, the fact that he basically dismissed what Pete Carroll said, and, and he wasn't combative by any means in the press conference, but he was a little bit defensive. It was the first indication to me that this is an issue that goes beyond just a few plays on the field, uh, that it's maybe something that could spill into just, you know, his NFL life in general and his relationship with the team.
1: How does Pete Carroll handle this? How will Pete Carroll handle this? Because you want to hold your players accountable, um, but he's also a, a really good player and the Seahawks need him on the field. Yeah, that is,
0: that is, I think, the, the next question that you have to ask. And, um, it's maybe not as simple as some people might think. And, you know, I've, I've seen people say, well, just bench him. And, like, yeah, normally when an issue persists, uh, this long, then, then that is, you know, that's the normal course of action. And, um, but it's tricky here. And I do think that, uh, with DK Metcalf, if you bench him, you could be opening up a can of worms that you wish you never really uh, touched. And it reminds me of a conversation I had with an NFL personnel executive three years ago after the Seahawks traded for Jamal Adams. And he was explaining you know, sort of why it all went south with Adams uh, in New York with Adam Gase, the head coach, and Joe Douglas, the GM. And the, the personnel guy said, look, with these alpha-type personalities, and I would put DK Metcalf in that same category, that with these alpha-type personalities, as soon as you cross them, it's over. There's no coming back from that with their relationship. And so, uh, and I think that is applicable here to Metcalf, especially if he truly does believe that he doesn't have a penalty problem, which he said is, is kind of delusional as it sounds. I mean, he even said that during the press conference Wednesday, you know, it, whereas in the past he at least acknowledged uh, that it was a problem that he had to fix. He, he downright said, I, I don't think it's been a problem in the past. And so, um, you know, it was just, the whole thing, I mean, there was flat-out denial of it, um, which is one aspect why it was just so jarring to hear him say what he said. But it, is, um, it is a really tricky situation for Pete Carroll.
1: Uh, well let's move on from the DK Metcalf situation Um, what is the status right now of the offensive line because the offensive line in Cincinnati I think Pete Carroll put it best a lot of things finally caught up to them Um, whether they were injuries or young players playing in roles the offensive line did not look good and Geno Smith kind of paid the price for it how is it looking heading into the Arizona game?
0: Well, it's still banged up, and every, all five of those starters are uh, still listed on the injury report as either non-participants or uh, limited. So we'll just go down the list right now. Evan Brown, their center, has, did not practice Wednesday or Thursday. That's never a good sign, obviously. It's also not a good sign when a guy goes from a full participant uh, to, uh, or from limited to a non-participant like Phil Haynes did. So both of those guys, I think, are looking questionable at best. Uh, for the game Sunday against Arizona, and then with uh, Curran, uh, Jake Curran, Charles Cross, and Damian Lewis, they've all they were all limited participants. They've all got ankle injuries. Uh, so Cross is uh, he's fine with the toe injury, but he apparently suffered an ankle injury um, in the game Sunday against the Bengals. And so all of those guys were limited yesterday, um, and I think Cross and Lewis both practice on Wednesday as well. So I would say all those guys are looking okay, uh, but certainly looking iffy with Brown um, with Brown and Phil Haynes
1: and and Abe Lucas is
0: out for how long yeah well so this is actually the first week that he's eligible to come back and there okay. was some optimism uh, from Pete Carroll I think as recently as last week saying that he, he thought Lucas would at least practice this week uh, but he's not practicing and, and you know when you're talking about a five four or five week absence um, I don't know if it's if a guy can always come back with one week of practice. So if he doesn't practice till next week, uh, then I would wonder if he's going to be available for that uh, Browns game, uh, you know, a week and a half from now, but Did you know- he is eligible to come back at this point.
1: So that's uh, that uh, game in Cincinnati where the Seahawks really had issues in the red zone. Um, how much of that do you put on Gino? Because he put quite a bit of it on himself and how much do you put of it on the offensive line?
0: Yeah, I think it was it was a pretty even combination of, of those two things. I mean, the offensive line, as well as they held things, with all the you know different pieces there, and even some guys playing banged up. It, it did kind of, as Pete Carroll was alluding to, feel feel like you know it was only a matter of time before they had a performance like this, especially against you know a pretty good rusher um, in Trey Hendrickson, and especially with you know Phil Haynes both playing you know, with a, a bum calf that he's been dealing with for a few weeks and playing out of position and you put a rookie and Anthony Bradford there at right guard. And then, um, you know, Curran turned his ankle early in the game. So, um, that was a rough matchup and a rough performance, but that said, you know, there were plays where, where Gino, um, even had, you know, like uh, the, the last play, the pass protection was terrible and it broke down completely on the right side, but, You know, if he gets that ball out a a split second earlier, he's got Colby Parkinson uh, on an out route in the end zone for the game-winning touchdown. And and this wasn't a red zone play, but, you know, with five minutes to go in the game, he's got, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba, you know, running open on a crosser. And, I I mean, I wouldn't quite say he was wide open, but he was certainly very open. Um, And that would have been the go-ahead touchdown, considering how well their defense was playing um, you know, it's probably the game winner. And so I think they all kind of bear some responsibility. And I would also put some of that um, on Shane Waldron because it seems like he may have uh, overestimated the the impact that Charles Cross's return would have. And, you know, they ran a lot more, uh, you know, 11 personnel, which right. put Smith and Jigba on the field. That was a big factor in why he had the game he had. But that also meant fewer you know, extra tight ends to help out in pass protection. And it seemed like on a few of those plays, they might've needed those guys.
2: We're speaking to Brady Henderson, our Seahawks insider from ESPN here on the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet net It's the Seahawks and Cardinals this Sunday. If you want to watch the Seahawks do it at the Clayton public house, Pre-game to post game. The Clayton public house is your home of football. Catch all the action on 15 screens and two giant projectors. Visit them online at the Claytonpub.com. Uh, Brady, that loss to Cincinnati. Was it more disappointing or discouraging?
0: It was it was the former. Look, I've covered enough Seahawks games to to know that there is a distinction between those, at least in terms of how it feels to me and, and what the vibe is in the postgame locker room. And I just – there was a huge difference between that one and, say, you know, the season opening loss to the Rams, that, which kind of came out of nowhere, and there right. was that complete dud performance uh, in the second half. I mean, there was – guys were stunned, and I think Pete Carroll was stunned. Uh, after what happened, and certainly disappointed. And, and, you know, that was a loss that kind of made you wonder, like, oh, gosh, is this team team as good as we thought they were? Uh, But this was totally different. And and definitely there was frustration over all of the, you know, the chances that their offense missed, and Geno Smith uh, really wore that frustration and put a lot of that on himself. Uh, But I think it was – it was it was largely outweighed by you know the optimism with how well their defense played, and I think there was a, a realization that you know after those first two touchdown drives that Cincinnati had on the first two possessions, that defense held one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL to three points uh, over the span of eight possessions, mm-hmm. and got an interception in that span as well, and so uh, and not just one of the great quarterbacks, you know one of the two three best receivers in the NFL as well, was coming off a historic game the week before and so um and and, you know this coming on the heels of that performance against the Giants that was um you know one of the best we've seen from the Seahawks in a while and so um yeah there was disappointment but I, I would say it wasn't the sort of discouraging vibe that uh that I've I've noticed in past Seahawks losses
1: yeah if the number one issue last season was their run defense and I think it was what would you say it is right now with the Seahawks on defense or are you just – No, just it? anywhere. Is it the offensive line? Is, it the, is that the one thing that gets picked on the
0: most? I, I, yeah, um, either that or just the offensive efficiency overall. And mm. I think before that game, they, they haven't been bad in terms of like the red zone, but just third down uh, still been terrible. They were a little better on third down defensively uh, in that game, I think even offensively well, but yeah, that just goes to show how lousy they've been on third down where like, you know, when you're 40 something percent, that's actually uh improvement from what they've been. And so, um, I, you know, we've talked about, I think getting Smith and Jigba on the field more as that chain mover, that's probably going to be going to help third down, um, situation. And, um, you know, and once Abe Lucas comes back in a week or two, um, you know, maybe that doesn't come at the expense of the pass protection the right. way that it did, uh, I think, maybe to some degree in the, in the Cincinnati game. And so I think the issue is right now, it's not like the run defense last year where uh, you just wonder all along, like, <laughs> hey, do they have, um, you know, the, the personnel to be a lot <laughs> Can better? Can anyone tackle out um, there? <laughs> right, yeah. I, I, think, I think these are issues as glaring as they've been at times. Uh, I think they're issues that you could certainly see them getting better at. Brady, this was awesome, man. Thanks a lot for taking the
2: time to do this. As always, we appreciate it. Enjoy the game on Sunday. We'll do this again next Friday. All right, sounds good, fellas. Thank you. Thank you. That's Brady Henderson from ESPN's NFL Nation Seahawks Insider here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Um, I don't know if we have the breaking news sounder. Do we ever find it again? Let's play it because this is a fairly noteworthy development.
0: Sportsnet 650, breaking news.
2: That's our new. What was that? That's the new one. The most. Sound excited, you guys. The most decorated footballer in this country's history has officially announced her retirement. Christine Sinclair this morning after posting a somewhat cryptic short video, or was it a picture? I don't know exactly what form that it showed up on social media of her boots hanging over the crossbar has now hung up. The boots. Uh, Christine Sinclair has announced her retirement from the Canadian women's national team. To be clear, she's still going to play another season with her club team. But she is all said and done after an illustrious career becoming the all-time leading scorer in the history of international football. Sinclair will play four more matches for Canada, all friendlies. There's mm-hmm. going to be a pair of them against Brazil in Montreal later okay. this month. There better be one of BC plays. I believe there's going to be two. Okay. And they're going to be against Australia The last FIFA International window of the year, which is going to run November 27th to December 6th, uh, according to sources of the CBC, it's going to be in Vancouver against 11 ranked Australia. The other game is expected to be, quote unquote, in the same region. So I suppose somewhere out west, I don't know where. Right. Okay. Um, There's not really much more that can be said about Christine Sinclair. That really hasn't been said. And the interesting thing is it's not often said by her. Maybe one of the most quiet superstars who just went about her business for the better part of two decades. Mm -hmm. Uh, A teenage phenomenon when she broke onto the scene that just continued to elevate her game over and over and over again. Uh, It was fantastic that she was able to attain international glory with the uh, gold medal at the most recent uh, Olympics in which Canada really put forth a shift that a lot of people I don't think saw coming given the way that the women's game had tilted to being mm-hmm. this very open competition no longer dominated by just a handful of countries. Canada was able to climb the mountain and Christine Sinclair was able to go out uh, in part with a gold medal although she did play some games after that including
1: at the World Cup. Um, her last her last uh, game from now wasn't the one that they qualified for the Olympics. Yeah. Right? And that was part That's of pretty her, cool. That was part of her,
2: uh, farewell and swan song. she told the manager, Bev Priestman, that she wanted to help this team get back to the Olympics. Like, mm. and on a note of positivity, like I'm sending yeah. you guys to another major tournament, go get it done while you're there. So, uh, happy trails. Although she will play in four more games internationally. When that game is here, and I'm going to just assume, this is assuming, this is speculation, Sportsnet 650, um, that it's going to be at BC Place. Mm-hmm. That there is going to be a... And give her the proper send-off that she rightfully deserves. Yeah. Men or women in this country, nobody's been a better player. Nobody's had more achievements. Nobody scored more goals than Christine Sinclair. Like it's, and you're not, there won't be another one like that. Mm-hmm. There just won't be. The landscape has changed too much. I doubt you'll ever see someone put forth a career that spans two decades with all the things that she's done. It's It's been a remarkable run. And, you know, they recently named a community center in Burnaby after her. A former Fortius is now this Christine Sinclair Center. So she's getting the accolades she deserves. Hopefully she gets another one in her sendoff game in Vancouver when that finally does become officially announced.
1: Uh, It's Ask Us Anything Friday on the Halford & Bruff Show, and we do have an open segment on the other side. So we can talk about Christine Sinclair's retirement. Uh, We can talk about the Canucks last night. Tyler Myers is... uh, Not very popular in the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or in Vancouver, online at dunbarlumber.com. I also want to look back on some of the other NHL games last night because maybe that loss to Philly wasn't so bad after all. Oh, man, we got to do
2: this right now. We got a couple minutes. We got to do this. Okay, so we've already heard some coaches get angry at their teams early in this NHL season, right? We heard Lindy Ruff got all ticked off at the Devils, specifically Timo O'Meyer, bench Timo O'Meyer, and then he bag-skated him. Mm-hmm. It's like, and the rest of the guys. That's only a handful of games into the season. After the Canucks suffered their first loss, Rick Tockett was pretty pissed off, right? Well, Jay Woodcroft took his turn yesterday. The normally docile Jay Woodcroft, bitterly disappointed after his Edmonton Oilers were handled, yes, handled, In Philadelphia, like you said.
1: They were smothered.
2: Maybe Philadelphia is better than we thought. I don't think they are. But whatever. Like, this
1: really... The the torts has them playing, right? He does. I'll give him credit. They don't Mm. have a ton of talent. Well, Couturier being back makes a difference because he got the McDavid assignment last night. And McDavid only got one measly secondary assist. 4-1 win. It was was pathetic. (laughs) That's what it was. That's what Jay Woodcroft said. He Connor McDavid was pathetic out there. And then he swore at him. Not
2: at him, but anyway. (laughs) So uh, 4-1 loss for Edmonton in Philadelphia. That's now three kind of disheartening losses early in the season. They only have the one win. Things are looking a little, little sketchy in Edmonton. And once again, the effort and attitude... And everything that a coach wants to see wasn't there. So Jay Woodcroft was asked about it. And he started out with good words, like unacceptable. And then he started saying some bad words. Here's Jay Woodcroft after the loss to Philadelphia.
0: Not to our standard. Yeah, certainly. <laughs> uh, not, not good enough. Excuse my language. Language.
2: That was an F-bomb that he dropped. I G. So a bunch of people caught it raw without the bleep. And it wasn't sort of a flippant off-the-cuff F-bomb. It's the best kind in. of F-bomb. It's like the thinking F-bomb. It's he like you're using it to replace, it Uh out. You know, it's like one of those ones where yeah. it's just you're using the F-bomb as a way to like think about what you're about to say. Oh, we know them. very Oh, well. yeah. oh they're very, so good. Very well. So he then went on to spend about 60 to 90 seconds just reiterating how unacceptable the effort and performance was. I'm very, very surprised at this start from Edmonton because at the very least, you expect McDavid and Dreisaitl to... Either explode offensively even when they're losing, mm-hmm. or pull them out of the
1: doldrums every now right. and again. But they just have—I mean, it's- so they've had two out of four games. I've had two shockers, yep. losing eight-one to the Canucks, and then I would call last night a bit of a shocker, not as much as eight-one, but they didn't play well. Mm-hmm. Uh, their other two games, you know, they handled Nashville fairly easily. Although I think they they needed their goaltending to be pretty good to start that game. Yep. Uh, and then the loss to Vancouver in Edmonton wasn't. I mean, they outplayed the Canucks. The Canucks did, did enough to to get it done, and they got good goaltending from Casey to Smith. Next up for the Edmonton Oilers, a um, home game against the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, so the other scores from last night that were noteworthy, uh, the Calgary Flames beat the Buffalo Sabres in Buffalo by a score of 4-3. to three. I think Huberto scored again, so yeah, that's-, that's two goals for him. Um, the story, though, for me might be actually Buffalo because now they're one in three. And this was, again, supposed to be a Buffalo team. Again, hasn't made the playoffs since 2010-11. And now they've lost three of their first four. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. the other two in that group of three that are expected to like be on the rise, Ottawa and Detroit... They're both off to good starts. They're both three and one. So some early pressure for the Buffalo Sabres and some early pressure, I think, for the Toronto Maple Leafs. You know how we're all talking about Tyler Myers this morning in Vancouver? In Toronto, they're talking about John Klingberg. John Klingberg is the shorter Swedish Tyler Myers. And to the same degree, Max Domi. Max Domi has not played well for the Leafs to start. And the Leafs, remember they started their season with a couple high-scoring wins and we kind of talked about that and we were kind of like we're not going to give them any credit even though Austin Matthews has two hat tricks because they were pretty sloppy wins and they didn't look good defensively. Well, they've lost their next two games and so they're two and two and I just don't think I think there's I think if, if there's major problems on the Canucks blue line, there's there's equally major problems on Toronto's blue line. Yeah. It is not very good right now. I don't think you, I don't think they have two pairs that they trust. And they don't have a player like Quinn Hughes.
2: No. Their blue line's
1: a Their blue line's a big problem. And they've also got a huge decision to make with Nylander, who I think scored again last night. Did he get their goal? I can't remember who got uh, their I goal. Check maybe, real quick maybe I got I have it in wrong. my notes. Maybe I got that wrong. Maybe you scored the night before. Nope. Mitchell Marner scored last Mitch night. Mitchell Marner, okay. So, so they're trying to sit there, Brad for a living sitting there and going like, how am I going to deal with this? If I sign William Nylander, first of all, it's going to be really expensive. And that's going to make it harder to add quality defensemen just purely for cap reasons. But if I trade William Nylander, first of all, how much am I going to get for the guy on an expiring contract? Mm -hmm. Am I going to be able to solve the issues on the blue line with a William Nylander trade? I don't know if they're going to be able to do that. Open segment coming up next.
2: We'll discuss all that and more on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650.